Good morning. Another beautiful day in Cleveland, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, we're going to start a series called uh, The Faith of Jesus at Prayer Meeting. And I thought I'd go ahead and, and do at least part of the first message here at church. Um, generally, when we look at this verse, here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. We probably spend more time talking about the Ten Commandments than we do about the faith of Jesus. And yet it's through the faith of Jesus, not just faith in Jesus, it's actually having the same faith that Jesus had, is what's really critical for us in these last days. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we're just so thankful that Jesus came here, not only for us to believe in him as the Son of God, but to show us how to have and express faith in you. So, Father, as we have a series coming up in our church at prayer meeting, be with us as we try to gain insights into the demonstration that Christ gave in showing what true faith is. And even now, Father, we want to lay this service. Thank you for the children's story, the beautiful music, and everything that's part of our service. We thank you, Father. And, uh, and now may the Holy Spirit guide each one of us our thoughts heavenward is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. If you would turn to your Bibles to the book of Revelation, I'd like to get a little bit of a context of this verse. The verse is Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. And just the fact that it's in Revelation 14 should tell us that this is talking about something in the end of time. It's not that people didn't have faith in a Messiah to come or have faith in Jesus since he was here. Um, but there's something particular about this verse. Um, and let's look at this next slide here. Are we? There we go. And the word, oh, shouldn't have gone back. There we go. Um, here or where? Um, here is the patience of the saints. And we could logically ask, what do you mean here? Where? Where is that? Where do we find these saints? And so I want to kind of get a context of this verse because chapter 14, of course, follows chapter 13. And chapter 13 is very much an end time scenario, right? You have two superpowers in the end of time. You've got the first beast, which the reformers, and we agree with the reformers, that the first beast is the papacy. The second beast uh, is Protestant America, or the United States. Uh, John Wesley, uh, in 1754, in his explanatory notes on Revelation, he knew who the first beast was, the papacy. But he said in 1754, the second beast must almost be here. He didn't know who it was, not in 1754, because we didn't even have our revolution until 1776. But he knew that this second beast must soon be coming on the horizon because it's nearing the end of the 1260-year period when the papacy would go, receive its deadly wound and that second beast, as the first beast is receiving a deadly wound, the second beast would rise up out of the earth. So he knew in 1754 that we're getting pretty close to 1798 and this second beast must begin to rise up. So we know that this group of people, here are they, is a group of people 
sometime after 1798. Would you agree? And when we look at chapter 14, the next chapter, it begins with a group of people that are called the 144,000. Since they are living saints, it must be even after 1798 because there's nobody here whose birthday or was born in 1798. It hasn't been anybody for quite a long time. Revelation 14, 12, the verse is our focus, is describing a time when the 144,000 would occupy the earth. These are living saints who never see death. So let's just say 80 years old. Um, someone would have to be born back in 1920s, 1930s, right? So now we're talking about a verse that's at least since the 1920s or 30s. Would you agree? You kind of see the logic there? But we're also looking for a group of people, or I mean it could be referring to people back then, a people who, but it's particularly application to people who are in this end time time. So let's go to Revelation 14, because after the 144,000, which are living saints who never see death, we have a three angels message, Revelation 14, beginning in verse 6, that here's a group of people who are preaching the everlasting gospel. Well, the everlasting gospel is just that. It's been preached from the very beginning. And a lot of people have preached the everlasting gospel. I mean, the gospel was first preached to Adam, right? Where there was the promise that God would bring forth a Messiah, okay, his own son. But as we look at that verse, in verse 16, we would be talking about a group of people who would begin to talk about how judgment has come. How long has it been since we've had a people say that judgment has actually started? Actually, we could put a date on this, 1844. Uh, Paul preached the everlasting gospel and that judgment is in the future, shall come. Really, there really was only a group of people who really began to start preaching this since 1844, okay? And maybe just a little bit before that, in this first angel's message, and that we should worship him who created heaven and earth. What's that point to? Points to the Sabbath. Now, the first angel's message we really could point to the year of 1831, because William Miller was a man who was directed by the Holy Spirit, not the only one, uh, to Daniel 8.14 that talked about how the sanctuary be cleansed. And he thought that represented the earth. And so there you have a beginning of a judgment message because the second coming of Christ, he thought, was the end of the world and there would be judgment and so forth. So since 1831, people began to preach the soon return of Christ. The judgment has come. There's a, an end of a world. But Jesus did not come. You had a people waiting for Jesus to come. And then we get to the second angel's message in Revelation 14, beginning in verse 8, that they would begin to preach that the Babylon, the various churches that rejected the soon return of Christ and the judgment and so forth, became fallen churches. Well, we can put a date on that. That's the summer or the autumn of 1844. And remember, this is just verse 8, and we're focusing on verse 12. And then, of course, the third angel's message, beginning in verse um, 9. We could put a date on that. Uh, that was in a previous sermon of October 22nd, 1844. That's when the third angel's message began. So you have this context 
that we're in the end of time, we're in the 1800s, and then it says, here is the patience of the saints, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I'm going to submit to you that there was a beginning time when you had a people who uh, began to preach that judgment has come in 1844, that we need to start keeping and worshiping God as a creator, start keeping the Sabbath. When these people became disappointed, which is our forefathers, right? The ones who raised up the Seventh-day Adventist Church to declare to the world the judgment's already started. The books are open. We need to all start worshiping God as the creator. We need to start keeping the Sabbath when everybody's keeping Sunday. And so here's a group of people who have to uh, express, here is the patience of the saints. They have to have patience which means that they're facing opposition. Here's a group of people who are having to exemplify patience and begin to keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And that really is the beginning of our movement. When we had to exemplify patience and do we continue need to have patience? We actually do. You know, I work in the prison and I'm the... There's so much belief systems there. So many different things that are being taught that I know aren't biblical. And it is kind of like an opposition, but you have to have, you have to have patience. You don't have any choice. We're going to live in a time when there's going to be a Sunday law passed and there'll be laws that will be more stringent. What are we going to have to have? You have to have patience. What else are you going to do? You have to have patience and you got to continue to keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. That's the only way to get through this. Our founders had that. They had patience. They endured all kinds of ridicule. But they kept moving forward. They kept keeping the commandments because that's exactly what God desired. What they needed to discover, and many of them had it, was the faith of Jesus. And as a church, we're still here. We're still here after over 150 years. And it's not that we don't know we're in the end of time. It's not that we don't know what the Ten Commandments are. Perhaps the missing ingredient are maybe a couple things. Patience. Every people ever kind of push your buttons a little bit? Patience, patience, patience. Because whatever we're going through now, no matter who's pushing our buttons now, it's going to get tougher. But the only way to have patience is to have the patience of, of Jesus. He's the only one who lived in this flesh and never sinned. Never, ever. Could you imagine all the people against him and he was never impatient? He worked with his disciples and on the way to the Lord's Supper, they're still arguing who's the greatest. Patience. He told them about the kingdom, but they kept thinking it was a military kingdom. Patience. Three years of teaching. Patience. You're probably working with loved ones or people who are friends or whatever. 
Don't give up. Just keep praying for, keep praying for patience. You know, God has a perfect way and he has a perfect timing. And what are we going to do? Patience. And learn more and more what is the faith of Jesus. How can we, by the faith of Jesus, best share this message? And this is a beautiful statement in Hebrews 10. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which our people didn't. They knew, even in the face of all the opposition, how they had the wrong date, the wrong event, the wrong, wrong, wrong this. They preached things completely different. And they said, no, we have confidence that the 2300 days represents 2300 years. We know it started in 457 B.C. We know it ended on October 22nd, 1844. And they didn't lose their confidence. They knew God was in the movement. They had to maintain their confidence in God's word. Had to have patience. But notice what they're saying again. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence in the Sabbath, the state of the day, all these things, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of, you have to have patience. That after ye have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Our, our pioneers grabbed onto this verse, realizing all the opposition that they faced. But they had to maintain their confidence that God was leading them. That these prophecies were true. And that the promise would be realized. But not to give up. And now, we're going to see things begin to develop in this country and around the world that might be discouraging. But don't give up your confidence in what you know is true. He says he's coming back, and he will. He's going to come back at the perfect time. And he'll keep the promises that he's made. We just need to continue to have patience. Okay? Notice how often patience comes up in the context of end-time events. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the what? Coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband and waited for the precious fruit of the earth and hath what? Long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Be ye also what? Patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And when you look at the verses that deal with the second coming, often this word is, re- is repeated. Patience, patience, patience. He is coming. Don't lose your patience. Don't become discouraged. Maintain your confidence in all the truths that you have. God led you here. He led you to this church. But be patient. God is in control. Revelation 3. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. This is not a time to become impatient. We have to gain in our patience. Receive the, he says, my patience. You see, I wasn't born with any patience. I can't make myself patient. But I can receive his patience. Because he was perfectly patient with his disciples, with the Jewish leaders, the Jewish people. The, wasn't he perfectly patient? Now, here are they, they have the patience of the saints. 
but also that keep the commandments of God. Now, that we are to keep the commandments of, and I particularly said the Father, because the rest of the verse, and have the faith of Jesus. You know, Jesus would say uh, that he had kept his Father's commandments, right? Revelation 12, 17. And I want to make a distinction because, you know, people might, oh, we're just keeping Jesus' commandments. He just said, love one another. And it is, but it's not new. Is to love one another a new commandment like it never got taught the first 4,000 years of earth's history? What was new about it? In fact, it's, it's even a quote from the Old Testament. What's new about loving one another as I've loved you? It's new in that no one had ever loved anyone as much as Jesus had loved us. It's new in that it was a new demonstration that was broader and deeper kind of love than anyone had ever expressed. It doesn't mean that Daniel wasn't loving and Abraham wasn't loving. They were loving, but they weren't as loving as Jesus. And so when this is a new commandment, he's saying, I have now given you a greater concept of love. And so when people say, well, we're just keeping the words of Jesus. Well, the verse really says that they keep the commandments of God, meaning the Father, and have the faith of Jesus. And to me, it's kind of a beautiful thought that I'm being asked, to be patient in a world that has everything that could make us impatient every day. You live in the world today, Jeff, just be patient, trust me. I am with you. No matter what happens today, I'm with you, just be patient. I'm leading you, trust me. What I'm asking you to do is keep my Father's commandments and have the same faith I had when I was in your flesh, right? That's really what it's being said. And so we're thinking in terms of the Father and the Son. And it's kind of a beautiful thought because Jesus says, I've kept my what? My Father's commandments. And not that they're not Jesus' commandments too. But I think Jesus is making sure that we don't lose lose the presence of the Father in our mind and in our hearts. Okay, And if these are the Father's commandments... Which commandments would they be, logically? They would be the commandments that are written in Exodus 20. Those would clearly be the Father's commandments, because where else in the Bible are you going to find the Father's commandments? Is that a fair statement? It would have to be those Ten Commandments. Now, the reason, again, I say the Father's commandments is because look at Revelation 12, 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, went to make war with the remnant of her seed, who keep the commandments of... God and have the it's almost like it's talking about two different people you see my point here that I'm to keep the commandments of God meaning father and have the testimony of Jesus Christ and I do believe that that's referring to two personalities which is another way to prove that the father and the son are one but they're two distinct personalities that I am to keep the commandments of the father because all of this comes from the Father. Jesus is in full agreement with all this. Doesn't make Jesus less divine, but he is the Son. Okay? So, keep the commandments of the Father, 
have the faith of the Son and the testimony of the Son. Um, and that, is those synonymous? Is the faith of Jesus and the testimony of Jesus the same thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could argue it either way. Okay. We are specifically told that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. But could I say that all inspiration of the prophets was God speaking his own thoughts through them, right? So really, that would be the, the faith of Jesus too. Again, I wouldn't say they're synonymous, but in a beautiful way, I would say, wow, that added something to this picture. I'm to keep the Father's commandments, which are really Jesus' commandments too, but the Father's commandments by the faith of Jesus so that I can have the testimony of Jesus. And remember, the testimony of Jesus being the spirit of prophecy, what is a prophet? It's a spokesperson, a, a, a mouthpiece of God. So really, I want to keep the commandments of the Father by the faith of Jesus, same faith he has, so that I can be a spokesperson for God's character and God's will. And now that's a beautiful thing. Now I've got a purpose for having the faith of Jesus to be a spokesperson of this truth, to be a demonstration of it, okay? If we are to keep the Father's commandments, then which commandments are they? We talked about that. These would be the ones found in the Old Testament. And Jesus himself said, if you keep what? So their commandments are Jesus's too. You shall abide in my love, even if I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. It belongs to both, but I think when we're looking at Revelation 4, 12, and 12, 17, it's really the commandments of the Father and the faith of Jesus, or the commandments of the Father and the testimony of Jesus. Okay. Notice how often, and now we're going to get to the phrase faith of Jesus. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the what? Now, if I could, in my own strength, keep God's Ten Commandments by myself the rest of my life, could I be justified by keeping the law? No. Why not? Because I've already broken them. I'm already guilty. The fact that I've already broken God's commandments means that even if I could keep them by myself perfectly the rest of my life, I'm still guilty for breaking them. I still need a Savior. I still need to be justified or accounted innocent. But the fact of the matter is, I couldn't keep them by myself anyway. And therefore, any attempt to be justified by law you've already broken, right off the bat, isn't going to work. But my hope is, but if I have the what? Faith of, of Jesus. Then I can have his law written in my hearts and in my mind. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by you see how repeated this is? How important the faith of Christ is, the faith of Jesus. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the, the faith of the Son of God. Not just faith in Jesus. I'm able to live a new life because I'm living by the same faith of Jesus. There's a difference, isn't there? A person can have faith in the existence of Jesus but not live by the faith of Jesus. And what we're wanting to do is not just believe that Jesus existed, not just have faith that he actually died and rose again. 
I want to have the same faith that Jesus lived by day by day, choice by choice. That if I could have that kind of faith in God, my life would change. Because if I don't have that, I just have a faith or a set of doctrines. I'd have religion, but I wouldn't have spirituality. Prophets and kings, we must cherish and cultivate the faith that lays hold on the promises of God and waits for deliverance in his appointed time and way. There was a key word we just talked about. That's the word of patience. This, this whole statement talks about patience. That for me to have the faith of Jesus, I must cling to the promises of God and claim them. That God will fulfill them. Not just memorize them, not just quote them, embrace them. These promises were for me. They're true. I embrace them, and because I embrace them, I don't only believe in what he said, I also believe in his timing. You know, David had to believe that way. I mean, Saul was after to kill him. Did he not have to believe that God would deliver him? But in his own timing, I mean, he thought, well, Lord, how long do I have to keep running? Or... I believe in your promise. You will deliver me from my enemies. And I know your timing's perfect. Sometimes God allows us to go through trials that we can learn from them. And not just us learn from them. I mean, time and time again, I remember when my sister, she passed away a year ago Thanksgiving. And so many people came up at her funeral and said, but for years, she was an inspiration of how she went through her cancer. God didn't have her live with cancer for a week. He had her live with cancer for several years. And her faith in God that it was okay. Father, whatever your timing, if I live a year with cancer, if I live three years with cancer, it's all in your hands, it's all in your timing. If you choose to heal me, you heal me. If I die in a week or a year, it's okay because my faith is in you. We have faith in God's timing. We do everything on our part, humanly speaking, but it's still in God's hands. The commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Well, the Ten Commandments, we just think about, what are these Ten Commandments? I mean, this Bible is 66 books. I mean, that's quite a bit of information. How big are the Ten Commandments? Isn't it amazing? That the Bible, I mean the Ten Commandments, really is a microcosm of the Bible as a whole. And just Ten Commandments. It is so specific. It is so pointed. It's so comprehensive that it affects every part of my life. And if I just knew what each one of those Ten Commandments meant in a deeper, broader way, I would know God's will no matter what I'm doing in life. If I go here, I know God's will. If I go over here, I know God's will. Then in these Ten Commandments, and this is why it's such a beautiful, simple statement that while the whole world's wandering after the beast, worshiping the beast, taking the mark of the beast, this simple description of God's people, but over here, right here, look at it. They keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus, period. Isn't that beautiful? That there's these chapters about the beast and causing the world to worship, you know. And all God has to say, 
But over here, on the other side, they live by faith. They live by the faith of Jesus. They keep the commandments of God. And in a world that would cause you to be impatient here and there and everywhere, they have patience because they have the faith of Jesus. They know the world's going to get worse. That's okay. They have patience. They know Jesus is coming. We'd like Jesus to be here today. We know he's coming. We wish things could speed up. But we wait. As we keep the commandments, have faith, be about our Father's business. The faith in Jesus. We, we are to understand that... Uh, and I keep the Ten Commandments exactly as Jesus did. And when we get into that part in our prayer meeting, we'll, we'll talk about how, what did Jesus actually say about the Ten Commandments? That's an important study, isn't it? If we're to keep the commandments of God, the Father, isn't it important for us to know what Jesus actually said about the commandments? That would be more important than anybody else's opinion or thoughts, right? And you could read a lot of books by other people. But really what matters is what Jesus said about the commandments. What's important is what Jesus said about the resurrection. What he said about this, he said about that. And we must be so consumed about Jesus and what he believed and what he did that we have the faith of Jesus. Because he's the object of our worship. He's the object of everything meaningful to us. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth. I mean, what else do we need to know? But if I want the faith of Jesus, I need to see that Jesus is the way. He is, he is the life, the life that's eternal. Um, and Jesus says, I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And so for me to be able to do that, I need to study Jesus' life. I need to study what he taught and how he lived and what he believed in, what he emphasized. And there's an interesting statement in Spirit of Prophecy that of all the subject that Christ could have preached on, the one he spent the most time was... Any ideas? Judgment. Huh? Judgment, Judgment? okay. Money. Who? Money? Uh, uh, yeah, me, me. The love? Faith? Faith? These are all things Jesus talked about. He talked about all of them. The endowment of the Holy Spirit. If all Jesus gave us was doctrine, but never taught us how to be born again, if he never taught us about how to receive the Holy Spirit every day, and to grow in strength and have more of the Spirit, more power, what are we going to do with all these doctrines? We can't do anything with them. Because without the Holy Spirit, we don't have spiritual life. It becomes essential that Jesus spent most of his time talking about how we first received the Holy Spirit and being born again, born of the Spirit. Now we can begin to have spiritual thoughts to even begin to understand all the doctrines he taught. But then it's, it's not just when I first receive the Holy Spirit, it's how do I receive the Holy Spirit every day to get a fresh supply of grace to do God's will today. That we allow ourselves to receive the early rain preparatory for the latter rain. 
He breathed on his disciples the Holy Spirit. And then he says, I want you to wait for what? More of the Spirit. Stephen was chosen as one of the deacons because he was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. He didn't want people who were, had a little of the Spirit. He wanted to pick seven deacons who were full of the Spirit. Which means I can always have more. And the more I have, the more I have the faith of Jesus. And so Jesus was saying, this is how. This is the how. To be more like me, to treat people like I treat people, to believe in what I believe, to keep my Father's commandments, you need more of the Spirit, and I'm telling you how to have more of it. This is why Jesus spent more time at this topic. Now, in the end of time, there will be a group of people who will fully demonstrate the faith of Jesus. We call them the 144,000. There will be others. They'll be laid to rest, but they follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. Could I say that that's the same as having a faith of Jesus? Yeah. They would, this group must be keeping all the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus because they go, whatever Jesus went, they go. Whatever he said, he, they said. Okay? The last church living upon the earth will believe in Jesus. Is that a true statement? It will have the faith of Jesus. That's different. To have faith in Jesus is different than having the faith of Jesus. And it will have the faith taught by Jesus. See, right now in the other churches, I believe there are people who believe in Jesus and even express a lot of the faith of Jesus in their life. I don't question their spirituality. But there's a lot of things they teach that Jesus didn't teach. What we want is to have all three. I want to believe in Jesus. I want to have the faith of Jesus. And when I teach, I only want to teach those things that are in agreement with what Jesus taught. I want all three of those things to line up. Now, for that to happen, I need to study my Bible every day with particular interest in what Jesus did. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus, how did he treat these people, right? How did he treat everybody? They will have faith in Jesus and he will be the object of their faith. We need, the, the, the Jewish people got caught up into their system. The object of their worship was the temple, was the religious leaders. Could we do the same? Yeah, we, we can't do the same. We need structure. God's a God of order. You have to have structure. But don't worship the structure. The structure is only designed to help me get to know Jesus better. The structure only is supposed to exist to facilitate the getting out of the gospel. But the structure itself isn't the gospel. The reason we have order in this church and we have different positions is to have structure because God's a God of order. And the structure, structure is very important. If you're running a business, does structure matter? Absolutely. Does personnel matter? Does your mission statement matter? See, we've got to get all those things lined up. We have to have the right mission statement, which is the gospel. I could say faith of Jesus plus the three angels' messages. We have a mission statement. We have to have structure. We have a good structure. 
We're kind of centralized only from the perspective that we can all pull our tithes and offerings together. It gets distributed throughout the world field. We have something in common to be able to get the gospel out as fast as we can. But if Brooklyn wasn't tied and had no sister churches, it doesn't matter what anybody else would do. We're just going to do our own thing. See, that's not a good structure. There's a lot of churches that are like that. But there's something that we as sister churches hold in common for a goal to reach the world as a whole together. Structure is important. And I can say that even growing up mostly in independent ministry, we benefit from structure. I mean, if, if we had a ministry and we're going to Africa or South America... Do we benefit that there's a structure, that there's Adventist church? Absolutely. Everybody benefits from structure. But personnel matters because this is why Jesus trained the 12. He just didn't pick 12 guys and say, let's go. He trained them. Because training matters. Personnel matters. If you don't have those three, you're not going anywhere as a church or an organization or a business. We are interested in, number one, subjects that Jesus taught. Two, how Jesus looked at the authority of the word. And three, how Jesus made use of the word. And this is where we'll probably pick up at prayer meeting somewhat. And if you want me to, I'll do a series here kind of on it too during church because this really is an important topic. Um, I'm really not only interested in what Jesus said about the second coming. I actually need to see how did Jesus look at the authority of the word? Did he really believe in it? Do I really believe in it? And what do you find Jesus always quoting? Why is he quoted? Because it's authority. You ever been in a discussion about religious things and never quote a, a Bible verse? Say, so we're, we're getting on kind of troublous ground when we do that. Oh, let me tell you what I believe about. And never quote scripture. That's a that's dangerous ground. It is written. It's really important for us. Because that's how Jesus, that's part of the faith of Jesus, is faith in the authority of the word and, and how Jesus made use of it. And that's part of what we'll study. I don't know how far we'll get today on this, but whatever whatever Jesus would have said about the word must necessarily have reference to what? Because there was no New Testament when, when Jesus was quoting scripture. And there's a lot of churches out there, oh, we just go by the New Testament. But Jesus believed in the authority of all scripture, right? Of all scripture. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus answered them, that should be the word them, is, is it not written in your law, I said ye are gods, if you call them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scriptures cannot be broken. So we're not going to talk about that particular episode, this that phrase. The scriptures cannot be broken. And that Greek word means that scriptures cannot mean to be made nothing. The scriptures cannot be unloosed. The scriptures cannot be undone. They are solid. They cannot be moved. Jesus would go on and say that when it came to the law, not one jot or tittle from the law would be... I'm not even, I'm not even going to change the dot on an eye. When it comes to, we're not changing the crossing of a T. It can't be broken. Not even how you spell. It can't be broken. It's true. Now, we've, we've got theologians who say, well, I don't know if Isaiah really wrote Isaiah. And I don't know. Or this is, you know. 
written by a bunch of scribes, and you know you can't really trust it. In fact, I was talking to a person just, oh, the Gospels are written like 300 years after the time of Jesus. And they really believed this. So what did they just do? They just broke it. But Jesus says scripture is, cannot be broken. It cannot be made to not mean anything or to be true. Okay? Verily, verily, I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever teach shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't mean they're getting to heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Would it be a great thing for me to stay up here and say, you can believe everything God said, and everything God said has authority in our life? That would be a great thing to say. But if I stood up sir, well, I don't really think this is probably written by Isaiah, and I don't really think that you really have to go by this anymore. I think this is just for the first, first church. You see, now I'm making of none effect the Bible that Jesus says cannot be broken. Often Jesus says it was what? It is written. In the faith of Jesus, if something is written in the scripture, it has authority. It cannot be broken. It can't not mean to mean nothing. Right? It's written. And so when he says it's written, he's not just quoting scripture to impress anybody. He's saying, look, if it's written, then it's, it's true. If it's written, it has authority. Which means you can't change it. Because it's already been written by God's authority. God demonstrated, God protected his word. And if it's written, it's true. It has authority. And man has no right to change it. You agree? Yeah. Absolutely. When tempted, when Jesus was tempted of the devil in the wilderness, he always responded... This is how Jesus looked at the word. This is how he looked at scripture. That it can't be broken. And every time he was tempted, he said, every time you're tempted, do you say, you should. And I should. But sometimes we try to overcome temptation with all our good intentions, without quoting scripture, without expressing faith in the authority of that scripture. There's a difference, isn't there? With all our good intentions, someone pushes my button and I'm ready to get impatient and I don't quote a scripture about being patient. I just try to grip my teeth a little harder. But see, that's not the same as victory. Jesus' faith, the faith of Jesus in the word is that when you're tempted, you what? You turn to the word. That's part of the faith of Jesus. Disappointed in others for not knowing. Look at these statements by Jesus. He, often, Jesus says to his hearers, have you not read? Why did Jesus say that? What's he helping them to think now? He asked them a question. They're not answering with scripture or they're, they're, they're expressing thoughts that aren't even biblical. And so he says, have you not read? <laughs> What's he demonstrating? What? Oh, I thought he said. <laughs> He's demonstrating faith in the word. 
See, he could say, you're talking this way, but have you read in the Bible? Because anything written in the Bible is, is true. But you're saying something that's not agreeing with this. And you've, you, ever since I've known you, you've always said this. For 50 years, you've always said this. But haven't you read? If they would have read that, then they wouldn't keep saying this. If they had the same faith in God's word, the faith of Jesus. But sometimes we have faith in our news newscasts, and we have faith in the faith of our fathers and everyone who's gone before. We have more faith in that, or faith in my own opinions, or faith in the History Channel, because they said, you know, and spend no time in the Bible. But if I spend time in the Bible, then I'm on a sure footing. I, I know what's true then. Jesus would say, have you not read the law? So, you know, have you not read that which was made at the beginning, uh, how he made them male and female? And again, he keeps saying this. Have you never read, Matthew 21, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. Have you not read? So what Jesus is saying, he wants us to do what? Just keep reading. You may not even understand what you're reading. Just keep reading. Because if you're reading, God will give you understanding. You may not ever understand every time you read it. The first time, you may not understand it. But keep reading. Keep studying. Look up key words. Because it can't be broken. It's true. It has authority. I found this kind of interesting. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expanded unto them in how much? All the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Well, how much of scripture pointed to the Messiah, pointed to Jesus? All of it did. How many Bibles did Jesus own? Jesus didn't own a Bible. <laughs> they had scrolls. How many scrolls did Jesus have? Probably none. So how was it possible for him to be talking to people... And expand everything about the Messiah, everything written in the book. He must have memorized scripture. He would go to the temple. He'd hear the word preached. They'd read out of the scripture. He must have been listening and thinking about everything he heard and remembering it. Because he didn't say, hey, let me, let me open the scroll of Isaiah. No, he just... From memory, from what he had learned, he expressed all these things about what Jesus, about what the Bible said about the Messiah. That's part of the faith of, it really is part of the faith of Jesus. That we really, when we get an opportunity, we listen to the word, we read the word, we think about what we're reading as we're reading. And not forget what we're hearing. Okay? So Luke's, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And uh, they opened he their understanding, then, probably then, opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. So again, Jesus didn't have any scrolls probably, but he, he told them what was written in the law of Moses 
So the first five books, right? The laws of Moses, the prophets. I mean, that's, that's a lot of books of the Bible. And what else? And we're studying that this quarter. So in our class downstairs, we said, you know, we need to read at least two psalms, well, probably two psalms every day during this quarter to try to go further than what the quarterly says. Is that a fair assignment? And we should do that as a church, just because the quarterly can only focus on so many psalms, only so many verses in psalms. But we should really make psalms a real focus because it's a beautiful way of expressing our love to God and that there's psalms to help us get through difficult times. There's psalms that encourage us and so forth. We need all these psalms because we go through these things. And so, but I found it interesting that Jesus, who didn't have a scroll on psalms, was talking about psalms. Okay? Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So how do these two verses help me to understand what is the faith of Jesus? The faith of Jesus includes, includes obedience. Right? Obedience to God. If I want to have the faith of Jesus, I just don't want to know what Jesus taught about the resurrection. I want to be obedient to God, preparatory for the resurrection. And we're almost at the end here. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? Um, I wrote down here, and I, I just maybe get your thoughts here. Did Moses write about Jesus? Absolutely. Um, God in his word, the Bible, I could say, is an unfolding of light. And Jesus is the light. And it's almost us coming out of darkness that if it's completely brilliant right away, it kind of blind you a little bit. But God leads us step by step. And they hadn't even accepted Moses truly. Because if it had accepted Moses, which was a lesser light, they were better prepared to accept Jesus, who's the greater light. But if they really didn't understand Moses properly, then they're not going to understand Jesus. And so it really becomes important that as I read through the Bible, I'm looking at it from a perspective that God is building my faith with God as creator. And how God leads through history and how he helps people see better and, and grow spiritually. And I'm gaining more and more knowledge about the faith of Jesus and about truth. And I know the Bible was perfectly put together for the human mind. It's in our language. But I have to believe that there was a, there was a reason why these books fell in this order. Yeah, okay. The scripture of God's thoughts made audible. Jesus represents God's thoughts made visible. Is there a difference between the written word and Jesus' life? Okay, <laughs> okay. I might differ a little bit with you. Maybe this is <laughs> Probably because I didn't ask the question right. But anyway. 
This is God's thoughts made audible, and I agree that what's in here was lived out in Jesus' life. But here's the difference. I can know this and not really know Jesus or experience Jesus. Is that a fair statement? That the Bible expresses the very thoughts of God, but in Jesus, I see those thoughts lived out. I now have a picture of what that looks like. Because if Jesus doesn't come here, I could read the Bible, but it's not the same as seeing it lived out in flesh. Um, I don't know. I mostly learn by seeing. You know, if I get a book of shells and it has instructions, I, I'd rather just try to put it together and look at the instructions. Maybe you're a little bit like that. So we have instructions, but what I really need to do is I need to see it. I want to see it. And, um, and that's what Jesus provides for us. Um, to have the faith of Jesus, I think, is more than having words written on a page, as, even though they're inspired. That we take time in memory's hall, envisioning the life of Jesus and claiming that life, because it is flesh on that word. And we'll, maybe we conclude with this. The visible word, the word was made flesh. Men saw him and beheld his glory. Beheld, see it, right? The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In him was life, and the light was the light of men. People could see that life, which was really important for us, that you and I don't just have a Bible of truths. And there are books out there on religion that only talk about principles, but the Bible's about making it real. What does a life of faith really look like? And we see Abraham, we see Daniel, we see Joseph. But what we really needed to see was what? We really needed to see Jesus. And Jesus is the embodiment of everything that the Bible's teaching. So I want to combine the two. I want to understand all the principles. But I've got to connect those principles and say... Oh, I see this in this part of Jesus' life. And I see it now visibly. And I have a picture, and I can put those pictures in memory's hall so that I'm influenced by that, and it changes my decisions in life, my perhaps my world perspective. And it will as we get more of the faith of Jesus. So at prayer meeting, we're going to make this a theme. Uh, uh, maybe we'll do this once, you know, here at church. But I want us to really spend more and more time these three things. We need to pray for patience every day. Because by nature we don't have it, but we can receive patience. It's a free gift. Um, the commandments. God, give me a deeper, broader concept of the commandments of your Father. And Father, help me to see Jesus. Help me to see him. And spend more time putting in memory's hall pictures of Christ. The very principles actually lived out in, in flesh. And if we do those three things, we're going to be ready for the second coming. We'll be ready. And it really is that simple. Uh, before our closing prayer, we have a, a closing hymn. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And we're so thankful that the word became flesh. So, Father, help us to put them together. Help us to spend time in the scriptures. 
and help us to spend especially that time contemplating the altogether beautiful life of Jesus Christ. And realize that what you're waiting for is a group of people who receive the patience of Jesus each day. And that we understand in a much deeper, broader way the beauty of each one of those Ten Commandments. And that we actually keep them by the same faith that Jesus did in giving you honor and praise every day. So thank you, Father, for this simple formula. And we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.